Welcome to episode 69 of Stage Worthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. You know, a number of years ago, I was at the Montreal Fringe with Keystone Theatre. And on the first day that we were there, the day before we did our tech at the Montreal Fringe, we went to a seminar by solo performer Cameron Moore. And she was talking about how to promote your show at Fringe. She gave some great advice, but one thing that she said stood out for me. She said, there's enough audience for everyone. And for me, that one sentence was a transformation, not just in the way that I look at fringe promotion, but in the way I look at promoting theater in general. See, I believe that this concept, the idea that there is enough audience for everyone, applies to all theater, not just fringe. Because I think the people who are inclined to see something that I'm producing are likely to be inclined to see something that you're producing. They just have to know about it. Sometimes in theater, and especially in indie theater, we're a little precious with our audiences. It's almost like we treat our audience like they're little birds, and if we open the cage that we keep them in, they'll, they'll fly away and never come back. But I think that's completely wrong. I think that an audience who sees the work of one art- artist will be hungry for the work of other artists. And this doesn't diminish the work of the first artist. It helps everyone grow. I've approached a lot of what I do theatrically with this this phrase in mind. There's audience enough for everyone. I'm always happy to talk about other people's productions, even if I have my own in production. And I'm going to continue to do this. It's one of the reasons I started Stageworthy. Because I want to expose the work of many artists to to as, as wide an audience as possible. There's enough audience for everyone. And that's my challenge to you this week. Share the work of another artist or company this week. Talk about someone whose work you've enjoyed. Want to tell me about someone's work that I should see? I'd love to hear about it. Want to tell me that I'm completely wrong and don't know what I'm talking about? I'd love to hear that too. You can drop me a line at Facebook and Twitter on StageworthyPod. And you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you like the podcast, I hope you'll consider leaving a comment or rating on iTunes or Google Music or whatever podcast app you use. Comments help people find the show. My guest this week is Alec Taller. Alec is the director of Circle Snake Productions' Slip, presented at Toronto's Tarragon Theatre Workspace from March 23rd to April 2nd. You've got you've got the new show. It's called Slip. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about? Uh, this is not the first time that Slip has been performed. Is it? This is like that's right. This is a remap. We did it in January, okay. twenty sixteen or February, January. Yeah. Um. So what, what what's Slip about? Slip is um, it's okay. So I, I have to warn you. It's a little tricky to talk about. Okay. Because it's a mystery. Okay. Okay. That that does that does present some. What is, if you were doing the elevator pitch? Yeah, yeah, step, no. What would that be? Yeah. I, I have that. Yeah, okay, I just yeah. want to warn you that I there 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 will be some things I'll be a little cagey about. Because, sure, absolutely. Um, uh, there is a there's a twist, and it's fun when it happens. Okay. So, um, I mean, it's basically it starts out being, uh, it sort of starts out being a sh- like a, a show that's like CSI. It's like okay. A, a crime scene kind of thing. Like and a procedural cop. Yeah. Is procedural. Yeah, that's what we start with, and then it ends up being a lot more about emotional internal experiences okay, <laughs> so okay. it kind of tricks you uh, which I, I really like to do um, so basically uh, the show is the audience comes in and you sit on two sides of a corpse and you're in a crime scene okay. and detectives show up and they start to try and figure it out but there's too much it's a really chaotic place It's there's a mess everywhere there's blood, there's like broken glass just scrawled papers everywhere Um totally chaotic and so the detectives are trying to figure it out Mm -hmm. but it's it's so complex it kind of escapes finding one story to to piece it all together so as they go it gets more and more complex and they try to find something that can make sense of it all um but as they go a sort of more present issue uh shows up 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. Sort of, it, it deals with kind of mental health kind of stuff. Okay. So that kind of complicates things. Mm. Um, so this is the, the, the remount. Is, mm-hmm. If somebody was to have seen Slip before, yeah. as opposed to now, are there differences that they would, that they would see? It's all lasers now. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, Hanshu's first. Uh, no, uh, differences are that we did uh, a good amount of rewriting. Okay. So, um, I mean, it's not... If you, if you saw the show, it would be quite recognizable from the previous, but we've tweaked it a lot. We've fine-tuned it a bit. Um, uh, I just think it's a, it's a much tighter script mm-hmm. and a tighter show um so that to me is is it's really nice to come back to a show because i haven't done a remount of mm-hmm. a non like th- th- this is comedic yeah but it's not like a sex t-rex <clears throat> show right. that i usually work on that is just pure comedy yeah um so this one to sort of go back and dig in again i feel like the actors have been finding lots of new mm-hmm. material in it and new honesty in it and i think that's really really exciting to, to bring. And and I should say that the original cast of five won Paloma Nunez uh, couldn't come back because mm-hmm. she's on Second City main stage. But we did get uh, Nicole Stamp to show up who okay. actually has been on Second City main stage in the <laughs> past. So. Yeah. Um, what was it like returning to the material? Did you... Uh, did you were there things that, that, that didn't work that you wanted to tweak? The, just as it was performed, you... you, you you saw things that, that could be improved. What was the impetus to revisit it? Mm-hmm. Um, well, certainly every time we do a show, there's stuff we want to change. Yeah. And we're pretty flexible and, and pretty quick, so we do change most of those things as mm-hmm. we go. And even sometimes during a run, we'll make tweaks. Mm-hmm. Nothing big, but we're changes and line changes sure. here and there. Um, and the show's collaboratively created, right? So, okay. So, so it's uh, not it's not like uh, a single a single writer making choices. The cast is the whole everybody's making the choices. Yeah, more or less. I mean, I couldn't fully articulate what the power structure is, but um, uh, I mean, I'm I'm directing. I'm sort mm-hmm. of head writing, but with Danny Paget and Michaela Dyke are my sort of core conspirators mm-hmm. on it, and then who who did most of the us three did most of the sitting down and writing mm-hmm. and then with the cast though we really did create the world together so there is a lot of input from everybody mm-hmm. it just usually means one of the three of us Danny McHale and I does the sits down and does the writing right um but then in rehearsal we go this line doesn't work let's change it blah, 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 blah. let's add this blah, yeah. blah, blah. so um anyway doing that uh was quite challenging with a mystery because we didn't really know until we opened if it made sense, if if, if it was a satisfying ending, okay. if you know all those like uh, uh, if it was you have to balance subtlety with clarity, yeah, um, and that that's quite challenging because usually you just want to make things really clear. I think mm-hmm. the whole time, and this time you actually want some opacity in it to like trick your audience and to you know have them engage in the fun of figuring it out. So right. that wasn't. We didn't know if it worked or not until we opened. And so to come back, yes, we can. Yeah. So what was that like opening that and not knowing if it worked? Uh, I feel like that's how all my shows go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, okay, I should say we did three drafts of it before we started rehearsals. Okay. And so the rehearsal, like the show you saw in January, would be like a fourth draft kind sure. of show. Um, it meant that. Like, our first draft is always a hot mess. Uh, just As the first draft often is. Exactly, and should be. It's just research, really. Research in the guise of a draft. Uh, the second draft was, like, kind of close-ish to what it ended up being. Mm-hmm. And then the third draft I actually wrote in on the plane to Costa Rica. I took all the changes and I was like, I don't want to do this on my vacation. So, ah, and, did it. <laughs> and then sent it off. And I think by that point, I was like, okay, this actually makes sense. Okay. Like, it's not hot nonsense. I know that much. Mm-hmm. But... And then I felt pretty confident that it would there would be something in it, mm-hmm. um, and I think, like I wouldn't, I don't know. I guess I just trust myself now enough to know that I wouldn't present something that was t- a total mess, right? Um, so and that would at least be pretty good, uh, and I and I think it surpassed that. And and getting people's sure. feedback, it's just helpful to go okay, like because there's some things that you know. You can tip the balance on giving away what it is yep. by one or two words. 
And we just have to be careful. Like, that's something that's hard to assess. So mm-hmm. hearing that it was pretty effective overall, like, obviously, we took some things, and, mm-hmm. of course. But, like, that was really, that was a thing that wasn't known. Sure. Yeah, I've had um, uh, a couple of times with uh, new shows when I was working with uh, Keystone Theater. And we everything we do in, like, a room, we're ma- creatively creating it. We don't actually know. Like, it's funny to us. Yeah, right, exactly. Or at yeah. least it was when we started it. And then yeah. you, get, you hit that point, you know, when you're like, uh, we're not laughing anymore. Is it still funny? Well, and that gets <clears> tricky. <throat> yeah. We find that with Sex Tracks, too, because then you have to be wary because you will then probably find a joke that's funnier to you mm-hmm. in the room. And you laugh uproariously at it. But then you realize it's actually a build on the original yes, joke. Yeah. And, and you can do that second joke, but you need the first order. You need the first joke. In, yeah. in the show, at least, to make the other yeah. one work. So, yeah. I've had, I've had many uh, uh, premieres of, of one of those backstage, like, just sort of gritting my teeth until I hear the first oh, anything. Mm, yeah. yeah. And, and it's funny. With this show, it starts out pretty comedic. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like they argue over points over who's the better detective literally over a dead body mm-hmm. like it's it's sort of silly mm-hmm. but then as things goes as things go on it, it gets more uh, emotionally kind of rich mm-hmm. um and if viewers i think that's what's fun if you've seen it before or if you watch it more than once you actually see all the plants uh-huh. earlier on mm-hmm. that that reveal what happens in the end nice. so that's quite satisfying that's cool um what was the this this murder mystery this 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 idea the procedural what where did that come from uh in terms of uh the the original idea mm-hmm. i'm so glad you asked because <laughs> it, it started because um we we were i think it was mostly michaela and i who we had the first kind of conversation about it and it was just i was just like i, had, I hadn't done my own play for a little while because uh, i was working in film for a bit mm-hmm. and i was like i want to get back and the Box Theater in Toronto, where we originally did it, mm-hmm. um, was available, and we, we looked at the space, and we, we booked it, and we were like, let's build a show for this space. Okay. And then we kind of brains- <clears throat> brainstormed, like, what could be there? And I had been there before for a reading or something, and have you been in the space, or? No, I haven't. Okay, so it's uh, it's real spooky. <laughs> it's on, <laughs> off Niagara, on Niagara, off Bathurst. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like an industrial, old industrial sort of part of town. It actually did actually used to be a coffin factory. Okay. And we had mentioned that in the show. But um, So you go in, and then to get into the space, you go under like this underpass thing, like built into the, uh, like a little tunnel built into the building. Mm-hmm. And then you go around to this like factory door, and you know, it's an old warehouse. So you, and then you go in, and, and you have to buzz in often. And it's just like, it's, it's super spooky. So yeah. when I first went in, I was like, am I in the right place like am i just gonna get mugged like i was just genuinely like oh i shouldn't be here and so we michael and i were like well what would you find here if you just walked in and it wasn't a theater venue what would be Mm. here and we're like there for sure would be a dead body (laughs) like (laughs) absolutely and we kind of came on to this thing about it being like an abandoned apartment someone sort of squatting in it Mm. and kind of going from there Mm -hmm. um we we, we brainstormed a dozen or so ideas uh and then there was another um, we we wanted to explore that, and then uh, there was another issue, I guess, related to mental health, uh, mm-hmm. is my uh, roundabout way of talking about it, that we sort of had, mm-hmm. that we thought would be really interesting to explore through a procedural form, mm-hmm. you know? Because that's kind of what we try to do, I think, with most of our shows, is we try to find a genre that people know, yeah. and then we try to add something else to it, to mm-hmm. not just to make it more interesting, but I, I feel like... In our in our like write up stuff, we talk about like genre as a lens of looking at things, mm-hmm. and generally genres have common topics that they look at, um, and so you kind of get the same perspective on those topics. But if you use a genre to look at a topic you don't usually look at, then you get different perspectives on it. Yeah, uh, and I think that's really cool and exciting. What's interesting is because you know usually when you would think about a police procedural, and the police procedural would be dealing with. A serious topic. It would be like, I don't know, a very special episode. It sure. always comes across <laughs> yes. as kind of treacly or, or yeah, yeah. self-important and never quite works. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to take that into theater. And I think well, what I find... Don't get me wrong. It doesn't work here. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> what I find intriguing about it is that there that in this particular instance, the whole procedural, instead of like being that separation between you and your television, which is mm-hmm. safe, mm-hmm. is now 
you're in a room with the dead body and the cops, and you're on either side. Yeah. Which is which is a really interesting spot to put an audience for for this kind of thing. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were pretty deliberate on that. Yeah. Uh, we had thought about. Pers- I mean, well, I should say. It's funny because some of that is just from the confines of the space. Mm-hmm. It, it, I don't personally, I don't think the space worked well in a proscenium for, uh, mm-hmm. format, um, and you could fit more people. You know, yeah. And that's sort of how we started it. And then from there, though, when you're sitting on two sides, you know, and their their chairs are basically right against the walls, mm-hmm. so they're in the room. Yeah, there's a lot, and the actors are kind of just doing their thing. Yeah, in the middle, there's less of a wall. So you are, I think, more immersed in that world. Yeah. And, like, yeah, you come in. And when, in the original production, you would wait in this lobby. Mm-hmm. And, and I, there'd be police tape on the door. And then I'd rip it open and let people in. And there's a dead body. And then mm-hmm. it starts. And they're mm-hmm. sitting around. And they're all looking at it. And yeah. and it's funny. Everyone's looking around, trying to figure out what happened themselves. Like, right off the get-go. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I do uh, think it makes it kind of more immersive. Like, yeah, mm. more. Without being, like, a... Um, you know, a Titan March show or something where you're actually doing more engagement. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting that the idea of like how close the actors are to the audience, they're right mm-hmm. up against the wall. That layer of safety that a proscenium would, would give them is kind of is kind of gone there. Totally. And there's a moment uh, in the first act, which I don't mind spoiling, which is they the coroner comes and they inspect the body briefly before taking it away to autopsy it. So they come in, and he has a tarp or a body bag, and they lay it down, and they pick up the dead actor mm-hmm. and put her on the tarp, and then wrap her up and take her out. And it's it's very fun to watch audiences watch that because there's dialogue going on still, mm-hmm. and it's a bit bantery, but fun, yeah. so it's not super heavy. But everyone's just going like, like staring. Well, at because the, it's not a thing that we would nor- that we normally get no. that we normally see that part of the procedural. Yeah, like happens like usually in the procedural on TV. The body is already in the bag right. on the stretcher and gets pushed away. You're like, oh, yeah, well, yeah. It's either that's done. You see it die. You see mm-hmm. at the crime scene, or you yeah. see it at the morgue. Yeah, I think it's also like on a screen. You you know that medium gives you sight and sound. Yeah, right. But here you get a little bit more tactile feel. Like mm-hmm. you see the weight of this actor as they have to lift them up and they have yeah. to move them, and it's awkward and, yeah. and difficult and. I don't know. It, it's creepy. You get a creepier sense of like, oh, yeah. I have to move a dead body. Like, yucko. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I think that's that's yeah. fun. You you were talking earlier about how one of the things <laughs> that you that you like to do is give people what they think they're going to see and then sort of like twist that. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about about where that comes from for you? I'm a sneaky bastard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, I think it's uh, where, did it, where did it come from? Like yeah, what what, like, what what makes me want to do that? Your, what is your impetus for that? Like what is it that, that sort of draws you towards that sort of thing? Um, well, I think it's a couple things. One, I think that if you enter a show with an idea of showing one thing and then having there be something else, mm-hmm. you're you're probably going to have a um, a wider experience for your mm-hmm. audience, you know, because if you're if I just did a procedural, mm-hmm. procedural, they would have a spooky uh, show. They, it would be creepy and it'd be mystery, and that would be fun, mm-hmm. and that's great, sure. But yeah. but by also adding this sort of emotional content, then there's something else that you get to explore. Yeah. I think is one thing. Um, I think it's part of that balance of striking accessibility mm-hmm. versus maybe depth. You know, yeah. Um, so. <clears throat> Just, just trying to find that intersection between something that everybody could enjoy, mm-hmm. and also something that you know uh, is trying to say something. Mm-hmm. I guess. Um, I'm trying to think of you know because because if you go super art house kind of style, then it, you might lose a lot of people. And if you go yeah. pure action movie, then you, it doesn't really change people. It doesn't change people. It doesn't doesn't yeah. really say anything other than isn't this cool? Yeah, exactly. Captain America's biceps yeah. are amazing, which is, which is very important. You know, the the yeah. one thing that I, I do think is is that sort of thing. It has its place. You know that whole totally like, absolutely pure action. This is cool. I mean, I I enjoy the Jason Bourne movies. They yeah, are yeah. fun movies. They are thrillers. They yeah. just do that well. Or like John Wick is just an excellent action movie mm-hmm. and has no other content, <laughs> but it's great. It's right. um, and then I feel like finally all that amounts to like to me, 
part of the point of like theater dart and stuff is to get into that deep emotional mm-hmm. area and to kind of break people's hearts and crack them open yeah. and have people open to more emotionally rich experiences. So, yeah. but most people don't want to do that. They don't want to like, and I probably, well, you know, the I thing probably is, don't. Yeah. It's like, if you tell them that that's what's going to happen, they yeah. don't want to do it. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, if you just sort of let that happen, you draw them in with something that like they think, Oh, this is what it's going to be. Yeah. And then you exactly in something else. They willingly went along with it, and, and <laughs> now you have to found, pay. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so much more rewarding than if they just you just sort of now. This is going to get really emotional and teach you something. Well, exactly. Yeah. yeah like, if on. your flyer is like, "Hey, come cry a bunch," yeah, you're like, uh, "No thanks." But if it's like, "Ooh, cool no. cop mystery," they're like, yeah. "Oh, that's fun." Yeah. And then they leave, be like, "What happened? <laughs> Why?" Yeah. So yeah. There's, there's a phrase Cat Sandler's used where she's like, she because she often does something comedic and then. Yeah. very often tragic endings and she's like I, I she says something like they have to pay for the laughs mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. that they or something that you have to pay for the comedy that you got at the start yeah <laughs> I had something like I did a show at Hamilton Fringe this past summer yeah and uh, I had it was sort of like similar thing bring them in with my this is the you know this is the amusing concept so you mm-hmm. think it's just going to be a nice light thing or a discussion about this and then I'm going to punch you in the gut yeah about halfway through yeah so it's like very much like you know, you're going to get those laughs, but yeah, I'll pay for it later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is there has working with sex T Rex informed the way that you create theater that's not straight up comedy? I yell louder. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it's funny you should ask that because, uh, like, yes, of course. Um, and I think part of that experience is what is one of the things that influenced me being a collaborative creator because mm-hmm. that, that's a pretty collaborative collaborative room um it certainly has pushed me to be more physical and try to find ways to Mm -hmm. tell like most of the stuff is narrative for sure but like i i I think every show i do has some physical or less narrative component to it Mm -hmm. or less just purely verbal component because i think that's a really interesting form to include Mm -hmm. um i think the best example was a show we did uh dark matter in 2014 um that was a sci-fi adaptation of heart of darkness and we did it with no set and no props. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just did it with the sort of comedy techniques of mime and stuff that you do. But it was a yeah. mostly serious play. I mean, mm-hmm. there's comedy in it as well, but generally about existential space sadness. So, <laughs> you know, kind of darker themes. And that was like really deliberately being like, let's see if we can use these things mm-hmm. in this format. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, certainly. And, and I think it also sharpens, they're all very funny, so I think it sharpens my own sort of yeah. comedic sensibilities and yeah, yeah. there because the work that, that sex t-rex does is very cinematic for, mm-hmm. it, it does more with less than you would find on in most straight up comedy shows like, yeah totally and it's interesting because like um in the sex t-rex shows we absolutely are following a cinematic sort of genre plot line of course mm-hmm. it's sort of genre parody um, but then it's trying to do it really visually. Like that's a lot of the content of it mm-hmm. and the fun is how do we, how do we put the action movie on stage? Yeah. Um, and we've done that once with a circle snake show of special constables, which was basically treating the TTC cops like homicide police. <laughs> it was very silly. Um, but, but for me, because I'm often doing dramatic work or mm-hmm. at least most more so dramatic work than, than a physical comedy, like uh, we're more taking the cinematic structure and genre and stuff and sort of taking that kind of plot style and then mm-hmm. and then finding that sort of theatrical intersection somewhere else mm. so yeah when you were going from from comedy to i don't want to say tragedy but something more serious yeah um are there are there particular things that you take from the comedy uh to to bring into the the more straight drama jokes <laughs> no really though but really like uh one of the things i really like about stuff is that it is pretty funny uh mm-hmm. to start and and we keep jokes throughout and and you know the characters are cops so they're like i wouldn't say the most emotionally open characters mm-hmm. in the world yeah. so some of the ways they deal with stuff is through humor um and so i feel like you know to to divide those experiences of something being funny and something being sad is, is arbitrary. Mm-hmm. 
a lot of the time. Like, you know, I remember, like, having to put my cat down, and my family were, like, crying, and then mm-hmm. making a joke about turning into a rug, and right. then crying again. Like, of course, yeah. So, so yeah. that, I think that gets out an honest experience. I also think that it, it you know, uh, it gets audiences in, yeah. engaged. If we're just, like, somber and serious the whole time. They don't have a way in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a way of, of opening opening the door. And that's yeah. that's one of the reasons we're actually deliberately more yeah. comedic in our first act. I also I also think that um having a laugh makes the like the sad or the more serious aspects even more serious. Yeah. Just well, by the the <coughs> juxtaposition the the word that I'm having difficulty Juxtaposition. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the one. That's, that's the one. one. Uh well, it's funny. That's actually uh, I believe empirically validated through mental psychology courses, which is that effectively you mm-hmm. would habituate to whatever emotion you're feeling. So right. if you see a show that's sad, and the whole thing is sad from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And I've seen shows like this. Mm-hmm. And you go, first 10 minutes, like, man, this is really sad. The next 10 minutes, like, hmm, okay. And the last 10 minutes, yeah. like, I'm so bored. Yeah. Uh, so you do habituate. So to have people move from different experience to different experience, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it will make each individual one, I think, richer and, and deeper, right. uh, more more full. Um, I also think with the comedy, and especially Sexy Rex, uh, um, as much as it's bunch of dumb idiots waving our arms around uh it's also really founded on clarity right yeah so that's something that i try to often keep in mind when i'm doing my shows and especially a physical piece i'm like how can i make this as simple as possible um i think the hard the the thing i miss when i'm out of a comedy and into a drama is that with a comedy like although you have ideally real characters with real motivations and all that stuff and um you know you're trying to follow a a realistic or like an engaging plot you can always do something really dumb. Yes. If you make it really dumb, you yeah. can kind of go anywhere. So yeah. I find it a little easier to follow a plot structure that yeah. I want. Whereas with the drama, I'm like, okay, how do I actually, what would change this character realistically to mm-hmm. go here? Right. Whereas in the other one, they could just be like, like, you know, they just really like dragons and they will do anything to yeah. whatever it is, you know, it's yeah. like something kind of stupid. It's fun. <laughs> Um, can we talk a little bit about uh, how uh, your studies in psychology have have affected sure. uh, uh, the work that you're doing? Yeah. Uh, first off, like, what drew you to to psychology? Uh, so just to clarify, I'm doing a master's in psychology right. uh, to your program, Adler. Um, not Stella Adler, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a very bad program. No, um, um, at, uh, so I'm in my first year there, and... Um, in terms of what drew me to it, my mom is actually a psychologist, okay. and uh, she does cognitive behavioral therapy. So I've sort of grown up in that um, milieu for a while, mm-hmm. and they've run workshops and stuff, so I've sort of been exposed to it for a while. And it's always informed my work. Um, and the short version is I was working in the film industry, and it wasn't quite right for me. Mm-hmm. And I sort of always knew that I was going to go into therapy at some point, and then I was like, why not now? <laughs> and so I did, yeah. Um when you say that you always knew that you were gonna gonna be doing that, mm-hmm. was that just like from a kid? You always knew that that was something you were gonna end up in, or I think more as a young adult. I think as a kid, I kind of took it for granted because, like, okay, so my mom didn't like do therapy on me or something like mm-hmm. that, but obviously she has a psychological way of looking at right. things, and so I just sort of grew up with that uh, framework. Mm-hmm. So it was just sort of that's just how my mom was, right? Mm-hmm. And it was only as a young adult I sort of looked back and was like, oh, that's that thing. <laughs> um, and I think, at, at, you know, coming out of, I graduated from a film school and I was like, um, I'll, you know, I, I figured I was going to give the industry a try and I, and I did. And I was sort of like, in my back pocket was, if it all goes to shit, mm-hmm. I'll just go become a therapist. I right. can just go do that. And then I just wasn't the, I was working in post-production and I just didn't, wasn't for me. So mm-hmm. I just wanted yeah. to switch out. Yeah. So you just... You just decided to, this was the time to do it. Yeah, and a big issue is like with the film stuff, uh, you're often working 10, 12 hours a day, and they, your contracts can be six weeks to mm-hmm. a year. Yeah. And my, my idea was to do a contract for editing to make money and then do theater and stuff. But I just found when I was on the editing contract, it was too much yeah. time to do anything else. I have so. a friend who does editing, and she's, right. uh, I don't see her. Uh-huh. I don't see her. Um, I see her once you, in a while. You had a friend. Yes. I had a friend. Yes, exactly. Um, once in a while, when there's some kind of break or something, I, I may see her. And yeah. Then I don't see her again for like six months. Yep. Year. Yeah. And so that that wasn't right for me. And doesn't they're not you know the film industry doesn't uh, 
isn't about work-life balance. So no, <laughs> therapy no. is. So uh, it can be anyway. So. Um, what have you learned in the psychology uh, that applies to directing or writing? Um, well, it, it's actually funny. Uh, my directing, I think, has always been formed by therapy. Okay. Um, and we were talking about this a bit earlier, but like the... Um, especially from a cognitive behavioral approach, like the way that a therapist works with a client, I find really similar to the way that a director works with an actor. Mm. Not that I'm trying to solve my actor's emotional problems, <laughs> but, uh, um, but that you are trying to elicit emotional change in somebody else mm-hmm. without telling them what to do or feel or think, but by helping them figure it out for themselves mm-hmm. through like Socratic dialogue or guided discovery or stuff like that. Um, so I found that really helpful and then more specifically sometimes we have used psychological frameworks to explore character so dark matter is a good example where there's a character who effectively had post-traumatic stress disorder from some pretty traumatic violent event and we i actually looked at a model for Mm -hmm. how ptsd operates Mm -hmm. and we went okay rather than fixing it Let's create it. <laughs> we kind of want to, what would be the you know the, the sort of recurring imagery that comes up. What are the flashback moments? Right. What's what's a stuck point that you can't get past? Things right. like that. So we actually kind of built it mm. uh, um, through role playing and stuff. Mm. What that would be like. Um, and then again in Queen's Conjurer, did you, I didn't you talk to us, but did you, did you see it? Or? Okay. So in that show, one of the characters is a historical figure, Edward Kelly. And he was really hard to understand. His motivations would change. So much. He was always Mm -hmm. back and forth. Really erratic guy. Had visions of angels. And you would think maybe he's psychotic or something. But Mm -hmm. it was kind of accepted at the time to do that, to see angels. So we actually talked to my girlfriend, who's also becoming a psychologist and specializes in borderline personality disorder. Mm -hmm. And we kind of looked at it. It's like, oh, that actually kind of fits. Mm -hmm. And through that, it actually we went, oh, he makes so much more sense now. Mm -hmm. Sort of dubbed as like an emotional burn victim. Like he's been really emotionally hurt before so um that was really helpful for getting to writing that character Mm. and then ultimately for josh brown to perform it too Mm. so i feel like it's always there um and then very broadly you're just trying to you know both both fields are just trying to understand why people do what they do do do, yeah. yeah yeah um have there been any revelations in actually studying psychology the things that you didn't quite i mean obviously there must have been some but uh any that, that sort of related to like writing or, or, or directing things that you didn't know that suddenly so, s- snapped into, into place because of the, the studies? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that moment with Edward Kelly, I think, mm-hmm. is a good example of that. That was new. Um, I think, for me, it's kind of the, like, the biggest stuff is the therapeutic skills mm-hmm. um, and sort of the ones that you do in in most any approach mm-hmm. like listening and empathy and being present mm-hmm. those things i think are really integral to my directing work like what i'm like in the room mm-hmm. so you know often especially because i'm producing too i can be stressed i can be concerned and thinking right. about other things and then i have to kind of go no okay let's be present i'm just in the room just right. watching and also yeah helping to work with an actor you know they get stressed out and concerned about stuff and you know sometimes they have an issue that sometimes you just deal with it at face value and that's what it is. And sometimes it's like, they're actually, they don't want to change this. They're actually stressed out about something else that right. you can explore a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it just makes me, I hopefully better to work with. And, <laughs> and to me, it's really important to get the best out of my actors. Like that's like, of course. yeah, I, I, I absolutely love it. So if I can get that mm-hmm. out of an actor, I am, I'm, I'm really happy with the work I've done. So mm-hmm. I, I think the therapeutic stuff yeah. Uh, not that I'm going into an actor's personal life necessarily, right. not at all, um, unless they really wanted to <laughs> use that. I don't know, but that's complicated. Anyway, um, but overall, like just just working in alliance with an actor to yeah. really dig deeper, I think uh, I think really helps. Hmm. Um, so you're 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 studying psychology, getting your master's. You're going to. Um, do therapy. You're going mm-hmm. to, to do that. What do you foresee? What do you envision your life like when you when you're done? Mm-hmm. Like as a as a theater creator 
therapist? Mm-hmm. How do you how do you envision that? Like ideally, right. what does that look like? I mean, ideally, as close to Gandalf as possible, <laughs> obviously, always, always. always. Um, or I suppose Dumbledore now that I'm reading Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> but uh, well, I don't know. I feel like they would really. I think they'll just continue to inform each other. Uh, mm. I'm, I'm I'm only starting with clients in May, so I'll see. I'm really excited to see how that. Yeah. Because I, you know, therapists. It's, you know, oh, they always say you learn so so much from your clients, mm-hmm. and I really think that I will. Um, I think I'll just, you know, ideally, I just feel like I would have a really, really good understanding of people and mm-hmm. why they do what they do. And I think that would, you know, uh, trans- like transfer to my work with my actors and then my work as a writer, mm-hmm. figuring stuff out, um, and then ultimately transmit that to an audience, too, to, to I don't know, explore characters that seem incomprehensible otherwise or find depths in people you don't usually see. Like, um, I think that would be really interesting. And... and more pragmatically, like I would be working part time as a, yeah. like you know whatever twenty hours a week as a therapist, mm-hmm. and the rest as a uh, a theater person. I sort of wonder if like being a therapist is like similar to being like a massage therapist, where you can only realistically see so many in a day before yeah. you're just oh yeah spent. Yes, that is absolutely the case. People <laughs> like you know if you were working full time, you're working forty hours a week, mm-hmm. right? As a normal job, but you can't you you know. Like a full-time therapist will see like 20 clients a week max, yeah. like give or take. Yeah. That's quite a lot. That's, I would think that that's a lot yeah. to do. And you know, some of those are just, might be a fun conversation. Sure. A lot will not. A lot will not. <laughs> yeah. you, have to, you have to deal with that. Yeah. 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 Um, you mentioned how you're reading Harry Potter now. And, and it, <laughs> this is for the fans. This yeah. is the, one of the one of the interesting things for me is a lot of the work that, that Sex T-Rex does is mm-hmm. based in... Uh, pop culture tropes and things yeah. like that. Now I don't. There hasn't been like a a wizards play for uh, sex T Rex, but yeah. because the things that sex T Rex tends to touch are so founded in, in pop culture. Yeah. What is it that that like was there something that that kept you away from Harry Potter until now or? You mean as a reader? As a reader. Oh, yeah. I see. Uh, so, like, if I'm often working in pop culture, why have I not read an enormous piece curious, of pop culture? Curious, yeah. yeah, just curious. Um, okay, so I... The real... Here's the real... Okay. The real story. Um, I did... When I was 10 or 11, I read the first two books. Okay. Um, and I think I'm... And we're close to the same age as Harry Potter, like, as it came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I read the whole Lord of the Rings when I was, like, 13. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. I was so as obsessed with it then as I am now. And uh, and then the first two books of Harry Potter are pretty kiddie, you know? They're yeah. pretty sort of whimsical and silly and whatever. I mean, looking back, delightful. But as a you know, overly serious 11-year-old, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't want, want to read the kid stuff. You want to read the adult stuff. Yeah. So I just stopped. Mm. And then I think everyone was so into it that I found it hard to get on the bandwagon because people were just too yeah was, i just had a little, a little much and I, I think i as a kid and teenager a bit more contrarian than i am now so um yeah i just kind of never did it and then as i became more openly obsessed with wizards mm-hmm. and did a play about a wizard people were like how have you not read harry potter and i was like <laughs> this is a very good question so yeah i started and it's delightful and, yeah. i've been following your your, your posts yes uh, manta boy ways um <laughs> it's and I, I was curious about about the delay, uh, in the quote unquote delay in reading it, but also um, it seems like like you're you're. I mean, obviously, you're discovering the depth in it, and mm-hmm. I think you posted at one point about like crying at the the Dumbledore death or something. And that's right. You know, that's like the kind of thing that that you know. Young seven-year-old Alec probably you know you you don't even think that that book is going to get to that point or anything. Well, the first book, two books don't really. No, so I didn't anticipate it. Yeah. No, of course, yeah. yeah. They they they're very light, and you think, okay, okay. so this what this series is going to be. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of interesting about about uh, from a certain point of view. That's that twist in in the play, like the you know this is what it's going to be. Right. Br- draw you in with oh this is light and, and easy, and then hit you with some more complicated yeah. stuff down the road. Quite right. I mean, hey, any comparisons you want to make for my work to Harry Potter, I'll hey, take. So. Absolutely, absolutely. It's exactly like yeah, yeah. Exactly like Harry Potter. Um, the cops are wizards. Um, <laughs> well, that, also that, 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 could, that could that could be a thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's also uh, 
it's also, I mean, you know, in, in the Harry Potter books, pretty much every one, it's like, she's, I mean, she's a mystery writer, really. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is a whole mystery in the last hundred pages wrap it up. And, right. and in many of those books, it is in that wrap up that you get the sort of darker revelations of what was going mm-hmm. on. And, uh, certainly at the end of book four, when a character dies, yeah. uh, that to me is like a huge turning point of darkness. Yeah. Um, and I think you're right. It is sort of a slap of this was a fun kids book, and now everyone you've ever loved is dead. So. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It definitely, it definitely does does provide a, a bit of a, a bit of a, a shock yeah. to the reader um, because we're not used to, especially in in, in young adult young kids, adult yeah. fiction, but also a lot of times in popular popular culture, we're not yeah. used to a main character or a character that we like dying. I mean, yeah. Game of Thrones changes that sort of thing, and Joss Whedon was doing that kind of thing for you, right. but generally. Agreed. You don't think about, oh, this character that I like could die. Yeah. Um, I don't think where I was going with that, but that doesn't <laughs> matter. That doesn't matter. Uh, coming, back, coming back to Slip, mm-hmm. um, the, the remount, which opens uh, on March- Tuesday Friday, but you're opening on uh, preview on Thursday? That's right. So March 23rd preview opens... 24th and closes on April 2nd so it's only a 10 day run is it short. at the box again or is it no no it's at the Tarragon at the Tarragon at, nice. at their workspace you're doing it in the, the same the, that's the right other, other that's side. right nice. yeah. um, so with that remount mm-hmm. you said you, you, you found a, you had to find a different actor for one of the roles mm-hmm. um, and it, so much that's, that, that's rewritten um are there lessons that you learned from the original one that uh, you're applying to this one, aside from just the rewrites? Are there things that the audience taught you? Oh, I see. What you're things like that. That's a great question. Um, I mean, yes, I, it would be a little hard to articulate because mm-hmm. after the show, we did a postmortem mm-hmm. and sort of assessed what are the things we want to improve, and they were generally just like um, kind of just heightening the, or not heightening, but furthering the concept that mm-hmm. we had. And just landing it more clearly. I, th- I think overall the first show was successful. Uh, I mean, not like, yeah. Um, I mean, overall audiences were really, you know, in, really quite liked it. But there wasn't anything that I recall that was like, oh, this needs to drastically change. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny because it's a mystery and it only kind of comes clear by the end. People develop a lot of sort of fan theories as they go. And I think we might now, there might be, there is a fan theory, sort of, that we have sort of, I think if you had that theory in the first one, you'd probably have it more so in this one, okay. even if it might not be what we think actually happened. But that's kind of fun to play with. It was kind of like, oh, that's an interesting idea. Why don't we uh, poke that idea a bit more? And yeah, Something that I always f- I find really interesting is the idea of... In, in movies and, and television, there's a lot of hand-holding. Yes. There's a lot of, like, make sure that everybody understands everything, that this is what we mean. Yeah. And there's something to be said for, like, allowing your audience to have their own mm-hmm. opinion. Mm-hmm. And to feel free enough that you're okay with the audience having a different opinion than you do. <laughs> um, I have a different opinion than my lead actress hmm. on what happens right after the blackout hmm. at the end. Very drastically different, and I don't mind because the blackout's where the blackout is, yeah. and I don't think it. It doesn't like the way that she plays it doesn't totally interrupt the way I see it, hmm. and I, so I'm just like, great if that's how you see it, cool. Yeah, and I, I I think that's really fun. It's really fun to let like be secure enough in in your work to have the audience just make their own choice, or even another actor make their mm-hmm. own choice, and you don't have to you don't have to be right about that yeah it doesn't really matter yeah um is is the fan theory something that that is um in the show or is it just something that that, like there are people who have this theory and they could still have this theory now yeah do you believe this theory or is this like nope (laughs) (laughs) even better nope uh no i don't because we we have because it was a mystery we had to construct really literally what happened Mm -hmm. so that's what i see in it um does the other theory hold up uh maybe Maybe it does. Uh, <laughs> like you could, I think I, I think you could, there's probably enough in the text that you could read that in mm-hmm. it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. And I feel like that. I think that is you know I was talking before about the balance of like subtlety and clarity. Mm-hmm. And I think that 
You know, because if you go pure subtlety, mm-hmm. then you kind of end up with nothing. You know, if it's just all amorphous, unclear what it is, you just have mm-hmm. a messy show. <laughs> you don't know what it is. Um, and if it's pure clarity, then and there's no ambiguity, uh, then you have a normal procedural, mm-hmm. really, which is like, yeah. this is what happened. We figured it out. It's done. Right. And I feel like most of the things, most of the really good work that we like, you follow the story, but there's questions throughout yeah. um, that that keep you engaged. I mean, even without spoiling stuff, even in the new Logan movie, yeah. there's a lot of backstory in it that they imply, but they don't actually tell you. They don't you. actually tell you anything. Yeah, and no, I had good, yeah. there's good debates with people after what happened. Yeah, and that's absolutely. fun. Absolutely. It so. was one of the fun things. I, what was that uh, Guillermo del Toro movie with the, the fairies and the... Uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, I debated with people for ages after that movie. Right, about what that ending was. And right, they're like two factions right. and stuff, right. you know. And it's it's great to have that when you when you leave a theater. And I think it's important that you like it's interesting when there are sort of a two factions or maybe mm-hmm. three perspectives because yeah. that to me implies that there's like a substantial body of evidence mm-hmm. that that can be interpreted different ways. Whereas if you have forty theories, you're like, okay, there's probably not actually enough of a spine mm-hmm. to that story. Yeah. That makes sense. But I also love the fact that, like, if there's a debate after, like, people were invested in what you did and totally. to, like, argue about it or to have an opinion about it. Well, that was actually what was kind of, I think, the, some of the faith that we were holding on to in the process, mm-hmm. which was, like, you know, when we were concerned, like, does it work? I hope this is, in, you know, engaging. Does the mystery make sense? It's like, we, have, we start with a dead body on the floor and there's cops trying to figure it out. Yeah. So the promise is figure out what happened to this body. Right. And it's really hard as an audience member not to just focus on that. You yeah. know, you just get so fixated on, like, you get, there's fun in a mystery. You want to know what happened. Yeah. Um, and that kind of hook, people get really into it. Mm. Um, so I think that's part of what carries through the show, too, mm. as well. What well, in terms of creating a mystery for the stage, mm-hmm. which, I mean, mystery novelists you know they have their way of, of, of working yeah and some people will say that once they have read a novelist like a mystery writer for a while they know their mm-hmm. tricks and can figure it out I feel that a little bit with the Harry Potter books yeah, yeah. Um, when you are um, creating a mystery for the stage like this mm-hmm. was what was your starting point like here's a dead body what happened or here's what could happen in this room was what, what was the starting point and how did mm-hmm. you construct a well-constructed mystery around it uh, well, we we did. I mean, we did start with what happens in this room, mm. and we tried to get pretty literal in like what you could do there. Mm. And because in the original production, we played the space as the space, mm. you know. Um, and then from there, we yeah, you know, we did go. Yes, there's a dead body. How did it get here? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so because we had improvisers and actors, we just kind of we we started with the victim's story mm-hmm. and we improvised a bunch of their characters and who they were um, and we built like it's funny there's sort of only a smattering of scenes from that person's life right. but there's a wealth of stuff that we had that we just put on a shelf because we had to like because you're sort of looking through little windows mm-hmm. in the show to see that story that we had to build what it was mm-hmm. before we could find the pieces that would be ambiguous enough to fulfill what the cops think it is versus what it actually is. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we started with the victim's life, built that, and then put the cop stuff on top of that. Right. And sort of then started, after we did those two layers, we sort of kept working with interactions between those kind mm. of thing. And did you did you know starting what the mystery was the air, um, radio air <laughs> did it, did you know what the mystery was at the beginning or did you have to discover that through what the victim's life was? Like, did we know how she died at the beginning? Like, did like the what, the what? answer to the mystery? Did right. you know that when you started, or was that not did really you work no. backwards, or you worked forwards? We worked it? through the victim's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sort of knew in because we sort of already had this like. Hmm, a certain topic that we were interested mm-hmm. in exploring. <laughs> yeah. Part of my vagueness. But a certain topic we knew it was going to involve that topic. Mm-hmm. And it, then it was a big question of how does that actually happen? Sure. And how would it happen in this person's life? And mm-hmm. what does that look like? So we had an idea. I definitely remember... <laughs> there's a lot of sadness as mm-hmm. well in this show. Sure. And there's like a, <laughs> a number of moments when we were working together... 
uh, especially like sometimes Danny McCann line when we're coming up with what oh maybe this happens maybe this happens yeah. and going along and it's always like, oh what did this happen oh my god and then that oh jesus and like we're just full on crying just yeah. like oh god like that's yeah. horrible so we're like put that in yum yeah. yum 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 <laughs> um so uh we, we had some idea but we, it took it took mm-hmm. a lot of exploration and i mean you know i can't speak highly enough of this cast but they just brought so much of mm-hmm. um not necessarily themselves in their personal life but just like gave so much to the process right. and, and uh really really did build it together what's the rehearsal process for this kind of collective thing look like it's even with the remount mm-hmm. um in terms of how how many like how long you've been working on it yeah uh like what is that length of time for, for this remount, for this remount yeah. uh, it's about a month about it's a sort month? of a normalish yeah. rehearsal okay. process yeah this is which is interesting i haven't really done that for a while <laughs> <laughs> you know there's uh not the same amount of sheer terror so mm-hmm. <laughs> uh this is more just like you know, this is how the show is, and let's mm-hmm. make it work. Um, but because it's, it was a year ago that we did the original, give or take, uh, we're trying to enter it with... We're not just trying to go... Like, you know, we probably could have said, learning lines, hop up, do it. Right. But we were trying to be honest with it and really explore the process again and, mm-hmm. and revisit, truly revisit these characters sure. um, and, and find them again. So uh, it, it ended up being sort of a normal-ish rehearsal process. Cool. Um, yeah. Cool. And we can find information about Slip uh, on, what's the website? Uh, easiest is www.circlesnake.com. Sure. That's the name of the company. Uh, it's on the, if you Google Tarragon Slip, it's on their page as well. Cool. And tickets are available through both of those places. Cool. Yeah. And Circle Snake is on Twitter? Yes, yes. it is, at Circlesnake. And you, you're on Twitter? I, uh, at Alec Taller, underscore Taller. If you search hashtag man, man to boy whiz, you'll find a lot of Harry Potter jokes and eventually me. So, All right. yeah. Cool. Um, one other just fun thing with the show is we, we it, it's really exciting because we got nominated for a bunch of these My Entertainment World mm-hmm. awards, yeah. uh, including best production, best new work, and best actress for mm-hmm. our lead, Alex Paxton Beasley. Um, and it's fun because we get to do the show sort of a week before the awards. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, which is, you know, it's such a rarity to get to do a remount before that. So because no, usually it's like so far in the past. Yeah, yeah. People are like, what yeah. was that show? So it's, yeah. you know, it's so rare that as an audience member or someone who goes to those mm-hmm. awards maybe to, to get to see any of those shows, yeah. you go, that show happened? What? I didn't see it. <laughs> uh, so I think that's a really cool opportunity to that's get great. to see it. Um, and, you know, it's a, it, again, it's a 10-day run. It's super short. So, um, I you know. Yeah, FOMO, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta avoid that FOMO. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for, for doing this. It's been great. Great, yeah. Thanks for chatting.